We are going to get into Ecclesiastes 4 today, so if you turn there while we get ready, it'd be great. And um, we're going to look at our series in Ecclesiastes. If you don't know, um, we have been studying this book uh, in the summer. We started a few weeks ago with Tucker, and then uh, Dr. John Whitaker gave a sermon, and then Tom, one of our elders, leaders, and then I'm, I'm following up this week. So we will read chapter 4 uh, And I'm just so thankful to get the opportunity because this is one of my favorite books, if not my favorite book in the Bible, which I don't know. Some people think that's strange because they think it's depressing or whatever, but uh, maybe that tells you something about me a little bit. I love the book of Ecclesiastes um, for all of those parts, actually, and what they do in our lives. And so uh, Ecclesiastes 4, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we will pray and then go through a sermon today that I'm calling, You Don't Have to Walk Alone. That's the kind of the idea. So let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 4 together. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive, but better than both is he who has not yet seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. And then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. The fool folds his hand and eats his own flesh. And better is a handful of quietness and than two hands full of toil and striving after wind. And again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there's no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity in an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall... One will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they can keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from the prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. And there was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet, those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this morning and thank you for... This gathering, just like the preacher in this book gathers the people to hear his voice, we now get to hear his voice and what he'd say to us. God, we pray that uh, you would help us to take the pieces of this puzzle that is Ecclesiastes and find the right little bits that would make the good life evident to all of us. God, would you just um, speak to us through your word as we unpack it, as we look at it, as we reflect on it, help us to 
hear what you might have to say to us as we talk more about this amazing book. In Jesus, your name. Amen. So we, last week, ended in chapter 3 where Tom Velasco was talking about oppression and, excuse me, injustices and death. And I don't know, Tom's not here. This service, he was sat here. I'm looking over there uh, during first service, and he was my safety blanket, so he's not there anymore. I feel bad. But um, he told this story, if you remember, that uh, when he was in grade school at some point, he got caught out for talking in class, even though he wasn't talking. And then it was this big injustice. And he still holds his defense to this day that he didn't talk. And so you can talk to him about that and see if it's true. But um, anyway, I love that story and thinking about Tom Velasco as this little kid and the injustice done to him, so to speak. And we all have those stories. And I think what happens in that end of chapter three is that he continues to talk about injustices to the point of death seeming to be like this biggest injustice of all. And then in chapter four, as we begin, we're going to look at uh, more of that in one sense. And as you read through, and as we read through this chapter can seem a little bit unconnected, disconnected. I, I, I don't know if you've noticed that about Ecclesiastes. It's Hebrew wisdom literature. And so sometimes uh, in these books, like you're trying to take thoughts and piece them together and figure out if there's some theme or not. And uh, I I really uh, found some themes this past week. And I think this chapter and this message I'm going to try to give today is very appropriate for Father's Day even in lots of ways. And so we'll talk about that. But I wanted to remind us of what we're looking at. And so this wisdom literature in Ecclesiastes, picture it like the Bible Project pictures it. It it has in their short little video, if you haven't watched it, take a look. And it has an old man or actually like a, a philosopher with a pipe And he's kind of blowing smoke out into the scene and then critiquing and talking about life as it is. They're theological, philosophical kind of reflections. And um, I thought about, a friend of mine named Mark Green made me a pipe several years ago. It's kind of like a hobbit looking pipe. I thought about bringing it here, but um, I don't know. I I don't really smoke it per se, but it's it's a great little thing. And I don't know if you guys like pipe smokers or don't, but there is this kind of stigma around pipe smoking. Like guys are sitting there and they have this wisdom to give you, right? And that's what this is. I think in this chapter, we see Solomon sat there in this kind of room with a bunch of his fellows, so to speak, smoking his pipe and trying to help us understand a little bit about life. And um, I, I think as well, one of the things we always grapple with it with Ecclesiastes is that it's vicarious wisdom, Right, And so um, Solomon, as John Whitaker pointed out a couple weeks ago, he did everything you could possibly do in life. Right, He um, had so much pleasure, for example, that he would have singers and bands play music for him as he woke up every day. He had so much wealth that it says his silver was like stones in Israel during his day. I mean, he just experienced all that he could. He lived life to the full and to you know, the, the, the most gusto you could have, so to speak. And uh, I mean, obviously, he also had, I think, 700 or 300 or 3,000, 7,000, depending on the translation, um, wives and concubines, which for um, many men today sounds like their vision of paradise, which I'm not sure we would all agree. But nonetheless, like that's a, a, a lot of sexual prowess, so to speak, that he had. And all of that sounds so far off and fantastic to us to one degree until you realize that as you pick up your phone every day, you literally can have a concert from any band that you want when you wake up in the morning. Men sinfully use this as well for a harem of concubines in, their, in its own right. 
and we can order DoorDash food, whatever type of food you like, to your house immediately like never before in history. I mean, we have so much. And so one thing I want to point out as I start this morning is that you're more like Solomon than you think you are. Okay, I'm more like Solomon than, than I actually recognize. Tucker and I were talking this week as he got back from the Congo, and he said, like we always do when we go on mission trips, it's just a real eye-opener because you go to a place that um, there are human beings that we are no better than at all. In fact, many of us are so much worse than some of these other human beings, it seems, and yet they have so little. And you come back here and it almost seems unreal, the ease and the comfort and the wealth and the riches and the pleasure that we live our lives in. And if you didn't know that, like that is the case, like a shower this morning that you had is like a spa day for anybody else in the world. And so, I mean, I think we're more like Solomon than, than we think, but then even if we're not, even if we've had a hard life, even if we've had a really tough background, even if we have fought and scratched for everything we have, so to speak, we can live vicariously through Solomon. That's what I love about this book. It's like, you don't have to try everything in life because it's been done already. Not that you want to give up, but just that you don't have to make the same mistakes. And that's this wisdom literature. And so we sit here and we listen to Solomon and his um, experience and we hear him talk about this concept of Hebel, which is this fog or this vapor that, that life is, that it's this enigmatic thing. And life under the sun is, is broken. And that's a reality. And so I think, not that I was planning on this, but I see a real theme in this chapter as I meditated, reflect on it. I checked my work with other people, so I hope this is right. And I want to point this out, that there's an aspect of Hebel in particularly of, of vanity that we see in this chapter today. So look at with me, if you would, at verse 1. And I'm going to go through a couple of verses and just show you what I see as a theme. It says this. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done, and it says, Behold the tears of the oppressed, and listen, they had no one to comfort them. And it says it again later in that verse, no one to comfort them. Look at verse 7 then. It says this, sees this person working hard, and he, never, and he has neither son or brother, and there's no one to enjoy his toil with. And then you go to the end of the chapter, verse 13, you have this interesting parable about an old foolish king who can't take advice. And you get this picture of somebody who sits there alone, though he led thousands of people. You have this feeling in this portion of scripture of aloneness, okay? Of loneliness hanging over this chapter something that's common to everyone. And, and uh, like, again, happy Father's Day. Maybe you didn't want to hear this, but like the reality is that this is quite appropriate for fathers, for men. Now, let me tell you why, because I, I mean, first of all, it's appropriate for all of us because we are facing a loneliness epidemic in our society. I don't know if you've felt that, seen that, heard that. And that's an assertion I'm making to this, this morning because I think it's so true Every, my, my kind of anecdotal evidence is everyone I talk to feels it. But more than that, statistics show that a full fifth of Americans volunteer that loneliness is a major source of unhappiness in their life. A full third of 45 and overs confess that chronic loneliness is a fundamental challenge with which they are struggling. 
And there's a good reason to think that those numbers are actually low. Two clinical psychiatrists recently wrote a book about this phenomenon. Here's a couple quotes. They said, talking about isolation fills our patients with deep shame, and they're more comfortable saying they're depressed than saying they're lonely. I mean, how does that hit you? I, I think that's true. They're more comfortable with that. And it says, the number one reason people come into my office is that with self-diagnosed depression, but most of the time, my conclusion is that their real challenge is a lack of community and healthy relationships. My fear is that my profession is just prescribing them a medication because it's the easiest path out of the appointment. So loneliness, all of us, and, and to go on, to be honest, why, why I think it's appropriate for Father's Day is listen to some of this. Uh, as a statistic, compared from now to 1990, in 1990, which seems like an eon ago now, right? It's like, oh my goodness, like that's when I graduated high school. That seems so close, but yet so far away. Um, <laughs> and it says here that 59% um, of Americans in general report having a best friend today compared to 77% in 1990. 27% of men now say they have six close friends, where it used to be 55. And then 15% of men say that they have no close friends at all compared to just 3% in 1990. Think about that. 15% of men in this room potentially can say, I don't have a friend to talk to or go to. I mean, that's tragic. That's tragic. And so I, I, I think that on Father's Day, both that reality as a theme that we see in chapter four here in Ecclesiastes and then everything else he's going to pull out and that we'll unpack here are themes that relate to men and, and are really uh, appropriate for us. And so I, let's, let's break them down. I've got this in a few sections here. Look at verses one and three again, and we're going to talk about the brokenness of power. And Solomon is going to come to the conclusion that a startling, dark conclusion that actually, in some cases, it feels like you'd be better off dead. So I'll read it one more time. It says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, there was no one to comfort them, and I thought that the dead who were already dead were more fortunate than the living who are still alive, and better both is he who has not been and has not seen the evil deeds that are under the sun. Happy Father's Day. It'd be better if you weren't born, Right. Um, I'm not saying that actually, but what is important, what is important, honestly, is for us to not just, and I, I think Tom touched on this last week, it's Ecclesiastes is not just saying this is the life of an apostate Solomon where he gets it all wrong. I don't think that that's true. I think the beautiful reality of the brokenness in, that's represented in the book of Ecclesiastes is it's talking about real things that are experiences that we all really can empathize and relate with. And while you maybe wouldn't admit it, um, I, I do think that many, many people, statistics show, have got to the point where at some point in their life, they're like, you know what? I would just be happy if I wasn't here. It's sad. It's true. Suicide for men is skyrocketed in the COVID and post-COVID era. And I think that that's, that's one thing to tackle, but I think that his uh, vision, Solomon's vision, his observation here of why that is the case is very interesting. He says, I've seen this oppression, and now I think this. 
I don't know what your relationship is with uh, oppression, okay, abuse of power. Um, I grew up in Boise. Like, it's a really nice community. Welcome if you're new, right? It's, it's a great place to live. It's not paradise. We'll tell you that, but it's a nice place to live. And uh, I always was like, man, I want to get out of this place and go experience the world. And I did. And, and, and it was wonderful in some ways. But honestly, one of the things I experienced over and over and over again is oppression. I remember the first mission trip I took to Romania. I was in a city called Petroșan, And it's a city where we had an orphanage partner and a, a pastor there who was housing a lot of um, young men in, in his house just to take care of them. And I remember going to one particular orphanage, and we actually, our missionary, Natalie, I don't know if you're here, Natalie, put your hand up, but she's here, she's here visiting, you should get to know her. She takes care of kids, she visits these orphanages. Anyway, um, we go to this orphanage, and it's a baby orphanage, and in all of the cribs, there's all these babies lying there, and um, it's just so sad because they would not cry at all. And then the other thing they do is they would hit their heads, over and over again. And as a young man, I'm just like, that's weird. What's going on? And of course, studying, learning more, I realized that in childhood development, what happens when kids cry out and they're not heard, they just stop crying because they're not cared for. What happens when kids don't get that nurturing and that touch is they start hitting themselves so they can feel something. And all of this is a result of the oppression that took place in Romania under Ceausescu, the dictator that made their society bankrupt of so many things. I mean, that's just one touch. And I know, again, that you and I can go on Netflix right now or whatever streaming thing you want to go on and see documentary after documentary after documentary after documentary of oppression. I mean, and here, here's my, I mean, I could go on. There's uh, one of my shows that I watch is a, set in the Middle Eastern context and these two dissidents were jailed, and one of them said, like, oh, I'm so sorry, I kind of got you into this mess. And the other guy says this, like, it doesn't matter. Um, they would have got us in the end anyway. I mean, imagine the feeling. Imagine if you're a persecuted Christian in another country. Imagine the feeling of no matter what you do, you can't get out of the system, beat the system. And we're all starting to feel that a little bit, right? It's like, hey, we are seeing things politically in this country. And, and again, right, left, it doesn't matter. Where we see, is this country turning into like a banana republic? Okay, like things that are like the type of corruption and narrative telling and all this kind of stuff that's always been a reality. But it's like, man, America feels a little different. And, and so we, we start to feel this. And doesn't it make you feel alone? That's my main kind of thing that I'm trying to say is it makes you feel alone because you can't do anything about it. That's one of the frustrating things on one level of being involved in missions or being involved in global Christianity. You start to feel like, dude, like there is so much that I can't fix. There's so much that my vote won't do. There's so much. And, and you realize, and I think what Solomon's coming to is that there is this oppression here, whether it's Nazi regime in World War II, whether it's the slavery that took place in the South and all over America, and then we're just like, man, there's been so much oppression. 
when you start to look at that, now, again, I'm sorry I'm depressing you guys. I really do apologize, but this is what Solomon's talking about. But here's the reality, like, that the good news, of course, there's been things along the way. Like, today is also the holiday of Juneteenth. If you don't know what that is, it's a federal holiday now. Just celebrates from the Emancipation Proclamation that now there is uh, the final freeing of the last slaves in Texas on June 19th. So that's something that we can celebrate, whether you celebrate it officially or not. You can be thankful that the last slaves in this country were free. Right? So good. There's hope along the way, but the reality of what Solomon is saying is this is a fact of life. There's misuse of power, and it's in the church too, and it's in families too. It's fathers being abusive to kids. Again, don't want to bring that up on Father's Day, but like I know this is a painful day for some, and I'll just say like what's good about Ecclesiastes is it actually acknowledges, hey, you're right to feel the way you feel. It's okay. I feel it too. So it gets dark. He says that it's better for people not to be born. I do want to say this. I felt really compelled this uh, morning just to remind us, like, it's okay on one level. And I pastorally want to say it's fine, like, if you get here and you feel this a little bit, but it's not true. Okay? It's not true that you'd be better off dead. God has given you the grace and the gift of life. And I want to affirm and tell you right now that we need you alive in this place. We need your presentation as a human being. We need your gifts. We need your blessings. We need you to be a part of this life with us. And I, please, if you feel this way, just know that God's word empathizes with the feeling, but doesn't point you there. It's going to point you somewhere else as we go on. So that's the first thing is like the brokenness of power in verses one to three. Second, we have the brokenness of our work. Again, something that all dads can probably relate to, right? Um, and obviously women as well, but I'm just thematically putting it in there for Father's Day. But look at verse four to six again. There's three things about the brokenness of work. And Solomon's going to come to the conclusion about work that everyone's out for themselves. Okay, so you're better off dead. Everyone's out for yourself. Okay, great. Here we go. Um, He says here, uh, then I saw all the toil and all the skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This is vanity and striving after the wind. So he's first going to talk about envy and jealousy as a core motivator for our work. Now, um, dads, I hope that on this day, you're more biblical than that. And you're thinking along with Paul, the apostle, that the Bible says that a man uh, is called to provide for his own household, physically, mentally, spiritually, financially. and, And you're called to do that. And that's a joy for you. But the reality is that when you look around at life, um, Jealousy, envy, competition drive way more than you think in your own heart, in my heart, and in everything in this society. And that's what Solomon's observing. is like, man, the wheel of life is driven by a competitive spirit. I mean, think about the clothes we wear. And it's like, why do you wear them? Well, so I look a little better than that guy. At least I think I do. (laughs) You think about the coffee places that you frequent. There's one, I call it Posh Coffee, that I go to downtown. Why do I go there? It's good coffee, no doubt. But it has this, you know, stigma. It has this thing to it. Like, it's, it's really nice. It's like you go in there and it's almost like you're getting valet service with coffee. Well, why would I pay $5 for coffee when I can make one at home? Because... Man, I'm worth this, and I've worked hard for this, and I'm better than maybe other people. But 
down to everything we buy and do, what drives us. It's many times, if we're honest, that keep up with the Joneses, get a little more, right? That's the reality. I mean, man, we're so competitive. This is part of the American DNA, like, and I'm, I'm a part of it as well. But I remember uh, this week I was, dry, I was downtown taking my son to lunch, and this guy started beeping and beeping. I'm like, dude, the light is red, and that guy can't go anywhere. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you're that aggro and competitive, but like we are. I was like, I get in the, get it back on the road here. And I was just down in California too. And it was very like fast driving. And I'll just tell you this. I felt like I was in NASCAR every day. It reminded me of when I lived in Rome. I was like, dude, this is crazy. Like I, <laughs> it's just competition. It's an interesting observation. I mean, it's not everywhere. I, you may or may not like this country, but Finland, I was reading about Finland and um, watching this short documentary on this philosopher. And he actually said that like in Finnish media and in the academic world, they, in the institutions, college, everything, they actually discourage you trying to get more and trying to have more than the other person in greed. Greed is like actually not a value they encourage as a country. That seems crazy to me. Okay, because it's the opposite here, just so you know. But like, they don't encourage greed. They have all these stories from their histories and, and, and whatnot. And, and I just thought, man, what would it be like to live in a society where greed was not promoted so much? And Solomon's, and, and obviously people in Finland are not better than Americans. They're greedy too. But the point is, Solomon's observing, most of life is like, man, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get it at your expense and I'll do whatever I can to do it. And doesn't that make you feel lonely in two ways? A, first of all, man, I'm lonely because everyone's trying to get over me. Second of all, it's lonely because Proverbs 18.1 says that a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wisdom. And so when we are going after just for us, what we end up doing and what we are doing is isolating ourselves. A lot of times people feel lonely because they're about them. And then there's the brokenness of laziness. You see this, he says, folds his hand, eats his own flesh. Just the picture there that uh, basically when you're lazy, you can uh, end up ruining your own life. Like Proverbs says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands and your poverty will come upon you. You know, so here's the reality. Brokenness of work and another way to be alone is just be lazy like you will be alone. (laughs) Uh, Gen Z, it is said, and I love Gen Z, but I will say this, that uh, there's a survey that came out that said they expect after they come out of college, you guys expect, we had a bunch of them in first service, but expect um, a job right away making $100,000 a year. How's that lamb with some of us? I'll just, I said the first service, like, I just, you know, I've never made $100,000 a year. <laughs> so, I mean, and I'm not like, proud about that, but that's just the reality. And all I can say is like, dude, like that's no offense. That's a little entitled to think that that's going to be your first stop. Like I've been working for like 25, 30 years. It's never happened. So just might need to be patient a little bit, but not to just go against those guys. What about sometimes retired people? We, you know, I'm not there yet, but I almost said we, um, can be in a position where you've lived the American dream your whole life and now you think you're entitled to have a certain lifestyle. And you end up, one of the biggest areas of loneliness is retired people who sit in their houses all alone and won't do anything 
watch TV, whatever it may be, and just get into this position of folding their hands. Perhaps instead you should go out in a blaze of glory for the kingdom of God and find something to put your hands to. And then you see also the brokenness of discontentment in this passage. Uh, he, he says here that like you got one hand is satisfactory when you've got some stuff in it and then two hands with striving, it's, it's just, it, it doesn't work. Um, don't you just feel sometimes like that discontentment, it's related to the envy, but like there's this thing that drives particularly men sometimes where it's just like, I got to have that little bit more. I got to have that little bit more. And that could be good things, right? It could be, I've got to have a little more to bless my family with. I've got to have more ministry if you're in leadership in some way so that I can bless other people. I've got to have a little bit more. I've got to get two hands and I'm willing to hustle and grind for it, right? And that leads to the next verse, verse seven, where he sees this person, he's got no one with him. And all I can say is this, that the, uh, on dad's day, a little confession time in my own life, I'll say that, you know what? I've had some wonderful periods in my life and my family. I love my family. I don't know if they're here. Um, I should know that as a dad, but I don't. What, what service they're in, but um, I love my kids. I got two going off to, uh, one in college, one going off to college this week. And like, it, it's amazing on one level, but I can look back on my life and I can see days or weeks, or months, or a couple times years where I was doing this. And those are the periods I regret more than anything, where I wanted more in some way, some way. And so in that, I lost just being present, just being present with my kids, being present with my family. And so fathers, maybe it's a day for us to also say, you know what? Kids, like, I recognize that. I didn't, I wasn't always there. I didn't always do it right. Please forgive me. And kids to say, Dad, it's okay. Like, it's generally speaking, like, you loved us and served us and, and, and we forgive you. And for those in your 30s, all I can say to you is, like, please don't make that mistake. It's better to drop some of the stuff you're doing and be present with your family, with your church family, with people before you get to that outcome. I'd rather have modest earnings and a peaceful heart than huge gains and an anxious soul. Ask the housewife if she'd be happier if her husband gave her a new car and gadgets or time with her spent well. This is a, a, a particular context for us as Americans, uh, a challenge, a difficulty. Okay, look at um, verse 13 to 16. Now, I want to I say uh, this last little bit, which is the brokenness of fame. It's lonely at the top, one person said, and his conclusion, Solomon, is that no one's going to remember you. Okay, so what have we done so far today? It's, you can feel like you're better off dead that you and everyone else is out for yourself, and then finally, no one will remember you. Okay? Are we feeling good? Dad's like, your legacy with your kids. No one's going to remember me. All right, good. It's an interesting parable because it, it's hard to 
kind of make sense of in a little bit, verses 13 to 16. But I think what it's getting after is just saying that there's a king, again, who in and of himself seems lonely because he won't take advice from anyone, which is also another way to feed that loneliness, to feed that feeling of, um, uh, of just being isolated. And what takes place is the young buck kind of comes up and then he replaces them. And then you see this vision of the thousands of people that they're leading and then no one remembers them anymore, right? That's, so I think there's this like, it's the idea of going in, to, you get hired by this company, you go into the, the corporate boardroom, everyone's excited about you as the new employee and then guess what happens just six months later? Hey, we're gonna go in a different direction. Just wanted to let you know that. Some of you have heard those words and it's like, what? And then they'll get rid of the next guy too. And the next guy. And that's just what happens. That's life. And that's what Solomon's saying. He's like, dude, this, this takes place all the time. All the time. So since I don't have lots of time, I'm going to now go to the section that we missed out on. All of those things, all these brokennesses are the wretched things of life, right? The, but I, I do think that there's value in hearing that, right? I do think that there's value in saying, what exactly in this enigmatic puzzle of life is out of place? And now Solomon in this chapter takes one piece and says, there it is. This is what you need to see. Verse 9 to 12. And this is the idea that you don't have to actually be alone or walk alone. Look at verse 9. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. This is the good news section. This is the section that says, like, even if you don't have confidence in any institution, religious, scientific, anything like that, even if everyone around you is a con man or a clown, even if all of this is true in life, there's oppression, even if everyone's out for their own good, even if nobody can meet your needs personally, like you've been looking for a friend, you've been desiring someone, there is a friend that you can buddy up with. The first thing is, this: the answer here is community. And the first community, two are better than one, is simply what we start with back in the Garden of Eden when God created man and said, for, well, he didn't say good until he created Eve, to be fair. But uh, eventually he said, good made in my image, man and woman together in community with me. And all I'd say is, the feeling you've been getting through Ecclesiastes 4 is related to what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. So please turn there if you wouldn't mind. Ephesians 2 says this. Remember, verse 12, that you were at that time, the time when you were not a Christian, not with God, not in belief in, in Jesus. You were separated from Christ alienated, there's lonely language, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. I think the New Testament bears witness to the fact that a lot of this angst that we feel, a lot of these problems and this aloneness and this lack is just endemic to the reality of being in a broken world and being sinners ourselves. That, that we feel this way because we're in this fog of war, in this Hebel, and we are going around and it's just like, man, I can't see straight. I can't find straight. I feel so in the dark, all alone by myself. And what Paul's saying here is like, that's not you anymore. This is the good news of the gospel. 
that in the midst of this Habel, King Jesus came down. The very God who created us, who was the king, he came down and showed us, I'm not an oppressor. He came down and showed us, I'm not living for my own interests, only for the interests of others. He came down and showed us, like, this is who I am. And he lived the perfect life, which was a life with people, which was a life that loved on people, that enjoyed people, that was around people, that wasn't isolated. He lived a life that truly was the good life. And they did what uh, Plato, I believe, said they would in the Republic, and, and they took this good and righteous person, and they killed him. And, but even when he died, he died for that sense of aloneness that you have. He died for that sense of shame that you bear. And he took you from the darkness and brought you into the light of his marvelous kingdom. And he will do that for anybody here to say, I want to live in community with you. I will be your friend. I will be proverbially the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And the only thing that's required is to drop our pride and say, and not just, I got friends. I'm good. You know, we do that. Like as kids, it's really cool because kids will always come up to you and say like, hey, will you be my friend? It's like, yeah, sure. Adults were like, I've got friends, you know, Facebook. Um, I, I'm good. I, like, I, I, I don't sense my need that much. And Jesus comes into this world and says, no, I know the reality. I know you're without hope and without God in this world. And I know you're lonely. I know you um, have had those thoughts of darkness. I know that. And I want you to be honest and open up and just say, yes, Jesus, I'll accept you as my friend who forgives me. Because I've been a bad friend to you, God. And And I was just reflecting on this a little bit the other day, I was driving in my car and just thought, you know what? Because like everybody else, I'll feel that angst. I'll feel that reality. Sometimes as a dad, I'm just like, I don't think that I'm leading my kids very well. And then I feel, you know, kind of isolated from them. And I don't feel like they're following my lead or whatever it is. And, and same thing, like in community relationships with people, it's just the way it is. It's, we all feel it. And, but I just took a minute and I was like, Jesus, thank you that you love me and that you have followed my story like nobody else. I mean, I have good friends here. Tom Velasco, I, I keep pointing there. He's not sitting there, but right, he's usually there. Tom Velasco, Tucker, Reggie, you know, I'm so thankful. They, they have been such a blessing in my life and so many other people here as well. But Jesus, Jesus, the friend of sinners, who knows every aspect of me and never, never says, no, I don't want to hang out. That's not his response to me. His spirit lives in me. His spirit lives in you if you're a follower of Christ. And you can spend time with the best friend in the world at any moment that you want to. That's the good news of the gospel. You never have to walk alone. But... The problem with our Christianity many times is that we stop there. And it's like two are better than one. He's going to go on to say, but a threefold cord is not broken. We'll talk more about that. But the idea is there's bigger community. There's more community. It's people too. And I know that's hard because we suck at community. 
Okay, we're terrible because people hurt us. We hurt people. We become oppressors and abusers. We do all of these things I've talked about. We're envious of your even spiritual gifts and the way that we express them in the church. I mean, what is wrong with us, right? And all of this takes place. And, and, but yet, if we go back to Ecclesiastes 4, I want to show you as we get closer to wrapping up just four ways that um, community is better. And the first thing I'd say is on the authority of the word of God, community is better than being a lone Christian. It says two are better than one. So if you ever tell me, no, like I'm an introvert, I just like to be alone. Good, be alone sometimes, but God calls you to be in community and it's actually better against all your feelings and against everything that you think, God says two is better than one. We need community. And here's four reasons. First of all, productivity. Look there again, it says that if two labor, they'll have a good return on their toil. What's a better reason? I think we need to ask questions in this passage. First of all, like that guy working alone, like who are you doing all this for? Like sometimes guys, dads, who are you working for? You have to think about this. Like if you're doing it for your family, spend time with your family. If you're doing it for the kingdom, spend time with the kingdom. And I think this productivity, it's, it's good news. It's hopeful because here's the thing. Um, it, God's not saying don't work. God's not saying don't put your hand to the plow. God's saying do so with other people and you'll see a fruitful, better reward for your labor. I mean, this is one of the reasons I personally love the church. Um, I am kind of, I've got lots of weaknesses but one of my strengths that other people have told me is that I'm very like focused and I'll get very direct and like mission focused, I guess. And, um, <clears throat> and if there was no mission, then I wouldn't want to be here, to be honest with you. And that draws me into relationship with people, actually. And, and I love the idea that, um, man, I was just going to share a movie analogy. And I'm like, that's going to be a spoiler alert. I can't do that. So never mind. But there's movies where there's no mission and I don't connect with them at all, Right but movies with the mission I do. And so here's this good reward on your toil. Man, what better thing to, instead of working for yourself and feeling alone, get together with a community group, get together with, get hooked up with Italy, Germany, Romania, uh, Mexico, uh, Africa, missions that we do. Get connected in some way with a purpose that's bigger than yourself and work towards an eternal goal for the glory of God. And we, this church has always been about missions. India, loads of orphanages, loads of stuff. And again, this, I'm not asking for anything this morning. I'm just trying to proposition this better life to you. Like Jim Elliott said one point, you know, uh, oh man, I missed the quote, but basically he, he says that this life is not eternal, and only what's done for eternity will last. He says, stamp eternity basically on the eyelids so that I always think that way. Productivity, good reward on your toil. That is a good thing of community. If you want to work for something meaningful, get together with other Christians and do so. Community groups, find something in your neighborhood to beautify the brokenness. Serve other people. Okay, there's another aspect to this community, and that is stability. It says here, if one person falls down and there's no one there to pick him up, 
basically pity on him, but some, the, the opposite is true. So there's stability. If you fall down and you need help, you're going to go astray many times um, when you don't have people around you to lift you up. I was on vacation this past week, and actually I think a week and a half ago now, and um, I was in, uh, at Carpinteria, which is by Santa Barbara, and we were at the beach. I was really looking forward to this day because I, I love the ocean. It just feels so wonderful. And like I, a, even though we, I, I love boogie boarding, basically. And so out in the thing, and I, I caught one wave. And first, oh, man, this is so great. I love this. And then caught a couple small ones. I'm like, I got to work on this. And then I saw a big wave coming. I go up to it. And instead of stupidly, because I've made this mistake before, instead of tuck diving the wave, I actually jumped up and had the board above my head. And um, I can't lift my left arm all the way up because what happened was as I jumped up, the wave went a little higher, a little stronger, and it pulled my arm back and just popped it out of socket, disconnected, like dislocated. I was like, oh, <laughs> that hurts. And um, I just like, I held my arm there and I'm looking at it like out of the socket and I'm like, that's not right. That's not good. And, and I told my son, Ben, I'm like, Ben, get the boogie board. Cause it wasn't mine. I'm like, I didn't want to lose the boogie board. That was my main concern, right? Like get that boogie board. And so I come walking out and, and then I watch like my wife and her aunt, like the horror looks on their face as they see my contorted body. And I'm just like, this is great. And so God gave me grace. And I'm just like, okay, what do I need to do? I went up there. Thankfully my wife, Mindy, her cousin is a nurse. And she's like, I got you. I can fix that. And so she's like, sit down, take a big breath. Don't fight me. Just take a breath. It's going to hurt and it'll feel better. And she just grabbed my arm. She's like, you know, and I, and I don't remember. They said there was a loud pop. I just felt so good when it went back into soccer. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. I think they said, you said, thank you like 10 times. And so I'm just like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You fixed my arm and it still hurts or whatever. But anyway, I say all that to say, just that Galatians chapter 6 says, if anyone falls in a sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one with meekness and gentleness, considering yourself lest you be tempted. And the word for restore in that um, verse is a doctor resetting a bone or a dislocated joint. And I think that's what we need to realize is that community should be wonderful because we all know we're going to fall. We're going to fall at times. I don't want you to. You don't have to. Second Peter says that. But you're going to fall. So you need someone there to pop your dislocated shoulder back into place and say, I got you, bro. Like, let's, it's okay. Like, you need the stability of this community over and over again to say, like, your sins are forgiven. You can get back up. You need people holding the edge of the trampoline of your life as you bounce up and down on it all around in this habel. Third, there's intimacy. It says, how can one be warm if they lie alone? But two that lie together can keep warm, right? If you've ever been camping on a cold night, you know this is true. Like, you might have the zero degree, north face, whatever, but it gets cold. And then some guys probably won't admit this, 
for whatever issues or reasons, but then sometimes you've been with your friend and you're like, hey, let's zip up both of our sleeping bags and get together because it's freezing, you know, and let's actually keep each other warm. And then uh, it's just this, this idea of an intimacy and the blessings that come out of it, whatever that may be. And, and of course, this is wedding season, so people always quote this as like sexual intimacy at marriage ceremonies and all that kind of stuff, which I'm sure has some truth to it. Um, just shout out real quick to um, Matt Halverson, our video guy. His daughter, got, Lindsay, got married yesterday. So if you see him, he's, he's always in the back doing the video stuff. And I just, it's such a blessing that they, they got to have that uh, marriage. And, and so I do think that this passage, though not directly a marriage passage, does speak about this type of intimacy that is relational in such a way that it's a warmth that we should all have uh, with one another to a degree, one degree or the other. And then finally, security. He says, though man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I think, could we all agree that like in this concept of Habel and Ecclesiastes here, part of the concept is a concept of brokenness that's a concept of war in the Bible, that there's a spiritual battle going on all around us, the fog of war. And all I'd say to you is like, um, we need people that have our back in life. And if you never trust anyone and never get into community, and if you get into that position where you've got another soldier behind you able to fight with you, you're going to be in a bad situation. I um, was reminded of this. I was at a 50th birthday party yesterday. And live music, it was fun. And then near the end, one of the guys got up and led like an open mic sharing time. And you know, I don't know, like 40, 50 people there. Five or six guys get up to share about my friend and tell stories. Some of them totally funny. It turned into an unintentional roast, you know, so that was kind of fun. Um, and basically uh, telling these stories about his life. And I, and I had this thought at the end of that time. I was just like, I want to tell my sons and I want to tell everybody this, that if you can get to age 50 and have five or six guys or gals um, get up at a thing like that and tell stories about your life and be standing there with you at that time, you're a rich man. You're a rich woman. That's what I believe this is saying. That the importance of community is drawn out. And the good life, the beautiful, this is that puzzle piece that Solomon says, here's you go, put this one in, and it makes the picture right. So, to close up, the reality is that um, it's hard. Like I said, this is a message that I hope will relate to everyone, but also to fathers in particular that like, again, you might feel alone, um, you might have had a dad that never helped you feel in community and that might be a hurt and a thing. You might be in church and be screaming out like, I need a friend. And first of all, I'd say this, like I can't be everyone's friend, but I know all the pastor's heart here because they're all friendly people. Like, hey, we want to be friends. Okay, we want to as much as we can with our time. But then we also want to cultivate in this church and a community and communities of people that are just friends with one another that just live life together in this way because that is actually Christianity. So it, if you have been hurt, if you have been oppressed, if you have been abused, if you have been 
like Solomon's there with you. But community gives you a chance to say, I'm going to forgive through the blood of Jesus Christ. It gives you a chance to say, I'm going to re-engage because God's word says that this is the good life. And there's so many benefits. Maybe you need to go up to someone after service like a four-year-old and say, will you be my friend? <laughs> I mean, try it. I mean, who, who knows what's going to happen? Um, I, I, I told uh, a friend of mine this last week, like we were struggling with that in our church in England one time. Like we had a community group meeting and I like these people were at my house all the time. Like I was getting annoyed. They were there so much. Like they were there all the time. And I'm like, I know you, I know you. And then they're all like, we don't know each other. I'm like, how do you not know each other? Like I know you all really well. I want to meet some new people. And anyway, this, all, this conversation took place and it led to us as leaders in the church, we finally put everyone on like a, um, in England, it's called a home and away fixture. Like the soccer teams, they'll play everyone home and away. So we're like, we get divided everyone up in the church. We're like, okay, everyone's going to everyone's house and hosting everyone. That's how, I mean, we're a small church, so we could do that. And it turned out like they hated it at first. They're like, that's kind of controlling and that's kind of, and like, I'm like, I'm not trying to control. I just want you to know each other. And it ended up being a real blessing to where afterwards, like, hey, can we do that again? And I'm like, I'm not organizing. I don't want the blowback. But nonetheless, all I'm saying is, like, it's the good life. But it takes work. It's toil. It took Jesus to die, to come here, live like you in the flesh, to bring us into this community, to not be strangers and foreigners together, but to be family. And that's the good news of the gospel. So we're going to take communion now. Um, and I want to encourage you, whether you're a dad or not, whether you're, you know, relating to it that way or just relating as a human being and a Christian to say, Lord, I'm sorry for the ways I isolate myself or when I feel lonely, I don't respond and please forgive me, wash me, cleanse me. Or Lord, I've been hurt by these people. Please, would you forgive them as I take this picture of your body that was broken for me and them and this blood that was spilled for you, for me and them. And just remember that as we do this all together, we're also committing as a church, it's common union, it's communion. And we're saying, Lord, would you empower us to work together, live together, serve together, do mission together, all for your glory. Help us because it's hard. So let's do that together. Let me pray. God, thank you for this morning, thank you for these guys' patience with me, and thank you for the word that you've given us in Ecclesiastes for. We pray that we would see your goodness, Jesus, that you're unlike any other king or ruler, and you do things for us to flourish, primarily your death and resurrection. Please help us to come to a place, each one, where we say yes that's what we need. And walk with you and walk in this good life in the midst of this disjointed world. I ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.